season. I, I wouldn't blame you because that's all you hear about on the news and everyone, but that's not what Memorial Day is about. Uh, Memorial Day was a special day that was decided upon in by uh, our country, by our society, to have a remembrance of those who served in America's armed forces, primarily those who gave their lives that we could be free. I'll tell you, I don't know of another country, and I'm not uh, uh, trying to disparage any nation or any other people group in saying this, but I do not know of a nation in the history of this world that has the history that we do. I think back in World War II, one of the highest, uh, most, I should say, one of the most decorated veterans of World War II was an American of Japanese descent. Because he was of Japanese descent, they would not allow him to serve in the Pacific conflict. But he served in Europe. And it's an amazing story to read. When we fought in Italy in World War II, it was not just one soldier, but it was dozens that found themselves in their hometown where they had come from, knowing people and seeing houses. In fact, one man was even greeted by his own mother as the fascista troops were pushed away and freedom was once again brought. Of every people group that lives on this earth, there's a story of heroism in service for freedom in this country. I don't know any other nation that allows other people to come in and be a part of their nation. We send missionaries all over the world. But you know, when we send a missionary to uh, many of these countries, they will serve and they will learn the culture and they will be a, a part of that people and that country and, and labor for years in starting churches and Bible colleges and training, but they never really become a part, a citizen, a national of that country. And yet, as I look out over our auditorium this morning, there's hardly a people group not represented here in one way or another. And all that you need to do to be an American is be a part of what America is. Now, we live in a time when people want to redefine that. They want to change that. I heard a quote this week. Well, we finally, finally, the Boy Scouts are for all Americans. Uh, no, the Boy Scouts have always been for all Americans. You can't be more American than the Boy Scouts. In fact, the, the Boy Scouts have become less Boy Scouts this week. They have sacrificed who and what they are in the wake of public pressure. 
And it's a sad story. It was inevitable. It had to happen. That's one of the reasons we don't have a Boy Scout troop here. It's not because we're against the Boy Scouts. But we're against the filthy, subversive perverts who want to destroy what the Boy Scouts are all about. They are not welcome here and never have been and never will be unless they are willing to let this book change who they are. And by the way, every one of us were at one time in that same group and we had to make a decision come to this book and let this book change who we are. That's what Open Door Bible Baptist Church is all about. We believe in the equality of mankind. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We believe that there is none righteous, no, not one, And we've had some over the years that have come and said, well, Pastor, I've always been a Christian. Well, it doesn't take long to explain to them that that's not possible. You can't always have been a Christian. Because the only way you can be a Christian is by being born again. The first time got you into the human race. But if you're going to be a member of God's family, You've got to be born again by His power into His family. We just added another member of the Montoro family. Uh, Peter, Jonathan, Uriah, Montoro, the fifth. Did I get it all right? Okay. Get out your notebooks, right? We still haven't figured out what we're going to call him yet, but... uh, we're going to try to save him from Petey, all right? That's, uh, that's not allowed. But uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is he was born into the family. And that's a wonderful thing. But God wants you to be born into his family. Amen? Now, birth is an event. I mean, there's quite a process that leads up to it, amen? There's a lot that goes on. I mean, you ought to have marriage first, amen? And then conception and gestation and labor and delivery and finally, whack, whack. No, they don't do that anymore. But then you have birth, amen? And it's recorded at a certain date and a time. Now today, we're here to talk about memorials. In fact, I asked the question, why a memorial? Now, I want you to understand that we're not going in the traditional direction. Uh, We're not asking why should we have a memorial, but the idea and the representation, what a memorial really is and why God requires a memorial. Why God uses memorials. They're 
all the way through the Bible. In fact, the first memorial that is mentioned in Scripture is right here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I want us to read that, and then we'll go back and catch up a few verses before. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all. Generations. Now let's go back to verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So God says, as he is explaining, if you study your Bible, there is a, a, a rule that we go by, uh, some of, something that will help you order and uh, plan your study. It's called the law of first mention. When God uses a word in his book for the first time, he usually explains it or gives us an understanding of how he chooses to use that word. And so this is the first place the word memorial is used. And God says, my name is a memorial unto all generations. Now, I am sure that if you've lived in New York City very long, you've run into our friendly neighborhood, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they're not very friendly. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen one of them smile. Uh, but they go about and they stand there trying to pass out their, their literature. And if you ever get into a conversation with them, which I don't necessarily recommend, they're going to say, what is God's name? I am. And they'll say, no, Jehovah. And I'll say, that shows how... I don't use the word stupid usually. But that just shows how dumb you are. How little you know about the scripture. Because the Hebrew means Jehovah. I am. It's the same thing, silly. Don't make a big point about that. If you're trying to tell me God's name, his name is I am. It says so right here. He says, I am that I am. And most people, when they hear that, give me one of these looks. What's that mean? God's name is I am that I am. Well, what he's simply saying is, you can't explain where I came from. You can't explain where I'm going. 
You see, I am God because I am God. Now, your parents often have adopted a little bit of that. Brother Marshall alluded to it in his Mother's Day sermon. Because I told you so. God is simply saying, I am that I am. I am the eternally existent one. There is no causative force that brought me into existence. There is no causative force that can take me out of existence. I am eternally here, present tense, no matter what time it is. God is always in the present tense. Past, present, and future are all the same to him. That's why the author of the book of Ephesians says that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As far as God is understanding and looking at things, he sees the end from the beginning. Now, how many of you pick up a book or a catalog and you don't go to the beginning, you go to the end? And then you read it, and then you go back to the beginning and decide whether you're going to... Does anybody do that? A lot of people do. Get the picture here. God knows the end before the beginning. He already knows what's going to happen before it starts. God does not have to think about things. You and I, we have to think about everything. How many of you have ever tried to take three or four people on the subway together? What do you got to do? Okay, uh, if I do $10, they give me a 10% break. Uh, how, uh, you, how many of these? We have to think about things. We have to think about everything. We have to think about what we're going to eat for lunch. And why we shouldn't have ate what we did for breakfast. We think about everything. Nothing goes without thinking. In fact, one of our greatest problems that we have today is we think too much. A wheel is round. It rolls. But there are people out there involved and pay tens of thousands of dollars of tuition for a class so that they can sit there with their uh, erudite professor thinking about why wheels are round and why they roll. Because they're just not sure that that is really a wheel. It just may be a representation of what a wheel really is. And I feel very sorry for my wife trying to sign this, but if you think it's nuts... What about the people that pay for it? Crazy. But see, God does something very simple and yet incredibly profound here. He says, I'm going to give you a memorial. I'm going to make a memorial from this point in time forward throughout all generations, as long as there are human beings to generate, uh, they will know that my name is I am 
that I am. I did not come into being. I'm not going to pass out of being. I always am eternally self-existent. Now, if you can fully comprehend that, you're one of the smartest people in the whole earth. Because no human being can fully comprehend that. We think of ourselves as self-existent because we get up in the morning and we take care of ourselves and we provide for ourselves and we go to work and we pay our own bills. Uh, we, we live a life without assistance. We think that that's self-existence. But of course, on Mother's Day, we always like to ask the question, where would you be without your mother? You're not self-existent. Somebody brought you into being. You came from somewhere. Isn't that true? Can I tell the silly little joke again about the scientists who believe they didn't need God? And they got together and they said, what are we going to do? Well, somebody's going to have to tell them that we don't need them anymore. And one of the scientists goes over and he says, God, I want to talk to you. I want to tell you that we've, we have now achieved godhood in our own and we can do everything that you can do. God says, really? He says, yes. And God says, would you like to have a man-making contest? And the scientist said, I sure would, and reaches down, scoops up a handful of dirt, and God says, go get your own dirt. <laughs> I just like that. You see, it had to come from somewhere. And God says, I am the somewhere it all came from. I am the source. If you are, it's because I am. How could you get any shorter than I am, that I am, to explain things that libraries full of books are being written about and have been written about trying to explain what God said in just five words in the English language. In most languages, I am is only one word. It's a memorial. You see, memorials are made to make us remember things. Memorials remind us that we can't know everything. But a memorial is something to remind us of something greater than the memorial is. Amen? How could we get anything greater than God's name? God is trying to explain himself to you and I. He does so in an extremely succinct fashion. I am that I am. I didn't come into being. I'm not going out. I have no source because I am the source. In fact, all that is comes from me. Nothing exists apart from I am that I am. 
We could spend the whole morning just trying to explore this and never even scratch the surface. That's a memorial. When you think of God, you ought to think of his name, his memorial that he has given us. I am that I am. Now I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Now we're not going to take every instance of where memorial is and and follow it everywhere through the Bible, but we are going to look at the different ways that it was used and the different ways that it is mentioned. And, And because of the limits of time, we'll only be able to look at four different ways here. But in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, we won't take time to read all of the scriptures that deal with this, but this is talking about the Passover. And... God is giving instruction to Moses in the land of in the land of Egypt while they're still slaves. They're saying this is going to be a special day. This day is going to be a memorial for you. You are to celebrate this day by ordinance. Now, chapters twelve and thirteen give us the ordinances of the Passover. Everything that was supposed to be done. And then again, later in the law, it is going to be reiterated how the Passover was to be celebrated and the penalties for celebrating the Passover not according to the ordinance. Now we get to the New Testament and it tells us that Jesus is our Passover. In fact, for the first two and a half centuries or so, when anyone who was a Bible-believing Christian would write about Jesus' resurrection, they would use the word Passover, Pasha, to talk about Jesus' resurrection. Now, Passover was simply a pass over. God sent his judgment throughout the land. And by the way, we adopt things. We say the angel of death went out through the land of Egypt. No, it was probably the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no angel of death in the Bible. God sent his judgment throughout the land of Egypt. He doesn't tell us exactly. It said the Lord's Passover. You see, God is going to judge every life that's ever lived. And if God's judgment does not pass over you, you will be condemned to eternal death. This night in the land of Egypt, it was a physical death. It was a picture. It was a living illustration 
of what God would do to every person who ever lived. If the blood of the Lamb was not painted upon the doorpost of your house, God would not pass over your house. He would stop and death would ensue. The death of the eldest, the death of the firstborn, the death of the one that carried on the line to the next generation. The Bible says that we're all going to stand before God. That we're all going to be judged. And if the blood of the precious Lamb of God is not painted upon the doorpost of your heart, of your soul, God's judgment will not pass over you. It will stop. It will take you an eternity to mitigate God's judgment. Jesus, being God, was able to accomplish the fulfillment of God's wrath in one day upon a cross. He says, I'm going to give you this day for a memorial. I want you to remember the whales out of every household in the land of Egypt from the palace of Pharaoh the king to the maiden to the to the mill grinder out behind to the the slave out behind the mill basically said I want you to remember the cries of sorrow as the whole land of Egypt wept and mourned and buried their firstborn that night and I want you to remember that my judgment did not stop at your house because the blood of the lamb was struck upon the lintels and the doorpost of your house. It's a remembrance. It's a day that is given. There were ordinances. There were special things that were attached to this memorial. And it had to be celebrated a specific way. Or you engendered God's judgment against you for breaking the memorial or the remembrance of what God had done on this day. Memorials are pretty important in the Bible. Let's go to another one. Let's go book of Leviticus, chapter 2. Read a few verses here. Verse 1, chapter 2. And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord... His offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take thereout his handful of flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant... Of the meat offering shall be Aaron 
Aaron's and his sons, it is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. So it says here, as the priest was going through, you would bring a meat offering. Now the meat offering was a flower offering. You would gather your grain out of the field. You would grind it into flour. That was one of the staples of the diet of the Jewish people was bread. And you would offer that flour to the Lord. You would have flour, it said oil, and it said incense. Now, you just take flour and oil and mix it together and cook it. Uh, You get some pretty interesting little tidbits of flour and it's all full of oil and course if you used olive oil to cook it in it'd probably be more healthy than some of the other oils that you can use and that was the oil of the people the children of Israel very simple thing fry bread we might say and there was incense now here we have a little change the priest was to burn the memorial of the flour and the oil and all of the frankincense, not a memorial of the frankincense, all of it, and the remainder belonged to the priest. So if you were offering a first fruits offering or, or an offering of flour, you might bring a five-pound sack. The priest would reach into the sack of flour and pull out a handful. He would then take part of the oil and pour on that and all of the frankincense and he would place that in the fire on the brazen altar and he would burn that as an offering, a sweet savor unto the Lord. What happened to the rest of it? Well, that went to the priest. At the end of the day, when he finished ordering the the tabernacle and this day and finish all the sacrifices, he would then go home and with him he would carry the flour, the extra flour that was left over from the offering and that would be food for his family to eat. You see, a memorial is only a small part of something. But it provides for a greater supply. God meant to take the memorial and use the basis, the extra that was left there, the rest of that offering to supply the physical needs of the priest. In those days, if you ate, if you were going to have food to feed your family, guess what you had to do? You had to go raise it. How many of you have ever tried to grow enough wheat to make a bag of flour? I mean, it takes a five-pound bag of flour just to make a couple of small loaves of bread. How much bread do you eat in a year? Stop and add that up. Our family, when I was growing up, we grew most of our vegetables. 
we would put up hundreds of quarts of tomatoes. We would, put, uh, we would grow bushels of potatoes and store them throughout the year. And it was always fun to go down in the springtime and see the feeders reaching out of the drawers where the light had gone in uh, and the potatoes started rooting. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is it took a tremendous amount of labor. The priest could not do the office of a priest and raise food for his family at the same time. So God had provided a way that the priest could eat. It was through the memorial system. The memorial would be burned on the altar, given to God. The rest would supply the need for the priest. This is another way that the word memorial is used. We're going to tie these together in just a minute. But I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 14. And this will be the last memorial that we'll look of in the scripture. Mark chapter 14. And we dealt with this some in Sunday school. This was the night before Jesus rode the donkey through the eastern gate in the city of Jerusalem. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, had brought a pound of spikenard, a very precious ointment, had poured it upon Jesus' head, upon his feet, had anointed him with it. Verse 8, Jesus is answering here, She had done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, that this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. What we're talking about here is worship. Is this the only thing Mary accomplished in her life? Absolutely not. You know what? Mary had her share of things. This is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Not to be confused with the other Marys that are in the scripture. She was the one that when Lazarus had died and Jesus came four days later said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died, period. Martha said, but even now, Lord, whatsoever thou ask, I know the Lord will give it thee. I don't believe Mary had much faith four days after Lazarus died. But she sure did right here. Amen? You see, Jesus said that this act was going to be remembered. This Everywhere the gospel is preached, everywhere the Bible is read, we read the story of what Mary did on this day and it's spoken of in a memorial for her, of her. It is talked about how her act of worship exceeded anything anybody else did during Jesus' earthly ministry. It is the greatest single act of worship recorded in the Scriptures. As Mary gave this gift, poured upon Jesus... 
made it totally unsuitable for any other use. A gift that was worth a year's wages, precious, was given. And Jesus said, the story is going to be told. Let's, let me read the words exactly here. Shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Now, I want us to take a few moments and tie this together if we can. Number one, a memorial is a small part of something much larger. We have a Bible. My Bible's a little over 1,500 pages, I believe. But God said, I am that I am. Five words out of over a million characters that make up your King James Bible. It's a memorial. It helps us understand who and what God is. That's the purpose of a memorial. A memorial is something that helps us remember. It's a day that is set up by ordinances. There are certain ways that a memorial ought to be remembered. How about the day of your salvation? There's only one way to get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that none of yourselves. How many of you could say amen? I remember the day I got saved. Somebody said the other day, I don't remember the date. Well, the date is not necessarily critical. But there'd better be a time that you got alone with God and you put your faith and trust in him. That's Bible salvation, being born again, all the same thing. About the day of your baptism, is not baptism given to us as a memorial, as a remembrance that I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ? He saved me. I went into the waters picturing the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, also picturing the end of my life as I want to live it in the beginning of the life that Jesus wants me to live. How many of you can remember a day in your life when you were arguing with God about something and you finally surrendered it to Him? That ought to be a memorial. Amen? If you're called into the gospel ministry, that's a day of a memorial when you surrendered to the call that Jesus Christ gave you to become a preacher or a missionary. I don't believe that God is calling any less. I just believe a lot more people are refusing to allow that memorial to be in their life and celebrating it by entering the gospel ministry. A memorial is a means to an end, not an end in itself. 
You see, God used the memorial to supply the needs of the priest. You know, I don't preach a lot about giving at Open Door Bible Baptist Church unless we're talking about missionary giving. Then we talk a lot about it. But you know, if God doesn't have your heart, it doesn't matter what you give, it just never goes anywhere. When God gets a hold of your heart, giving is not a big deal. Over the years, I've had some people say, Pastor, I just can't give a tithe. Would God understand if I gave a, a half a tithe or, or a quarter a tithe? And God understands it all, my friend. There's no requirement to tithe to be a member of our church. We, I don't go through the tithing records and say, <laughs> yeah, they live on 200 bucks a year. Wow. I don't do that. I'm not going to judge your relationship with God. But let me tell you something. If you want a real relationship with God, tithing is nothing. It's where you start. It's not a big deal. I'm glad that God said a tithe, a memorial, and not a hundred percent because it all belongs to Him. Amen. He said, I just want a memorial. I think I've told the story. I was talking with the doctor and he says, how do you guys pay your bills? I said, well, we have one offering a week and people put money in the offering plate and we pay all our bills. He says, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, it's all free will. It's just people. And he began, I said, by the way, we sent out $88,000 to missions last year. That didn't. How many people you have over there? Oh, there's not that many of us, right around a hundred. Man, uh, if he had dentures, they'd been laying on the table. <laughs> Just doesn't understand that kind of giving. That's what a memorial is, my friend. It's a little remembrance of the great things that God has done. It's a means to an end. It's how God chooses to supply the needs of his people. And you know what? If we would think of this in the realm of our country and our citizenship, the memorial system would solve an awful lot of problems. Put the IRS out of business and Congress and all the rest of them. But you know what? You have to be saved in order for the memorial system to work. And we don't believe in a church society or a society that equals church. We don't believe in compulsory religion in the United States. We believe in freedom. So there's going to be an IRS. 
because dishonest people will continue being dishonest. And the most dishonest people will always work for government. Uh, Excuse me, let's keep going here. You see, you can't improve on God's memorial system, my friend. Now this last point is the one that hit home to me the hardest. And I pray we'll do the same for you. You see, Mary lived a whole life doing both wrong and right. She sinned just like anybody else sinned. She served God just like anybody else served God, except for one event. When she surrendered and worshipped God, Jesus Christ, by pouring that ointment upon his head, by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in her heart to the point to where she could see that Jesus was going to die and be and rise, and rise again. And she took that gift that was hers and poured it out upon Jesus. You know, I believe that several days later when Jesus was in the trial, that the odor of this ointment would still be there because they didn't take baths every day like you and I do. That ointment would have still been in his hair. And when they pulled it out, they would have smelled the ointment of Mary's worship upon their hands. Isn't that amazing? You see, God knows everything that each one of us will do. But he chooses to remember those few good things to bring honor and glory to his name. And he separates our iniquities from us as far as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad that God uses the memorial system when he remembers our life? You see, for the unsaved, it's not going to be a memorial system. Because every deed is written down and recorded in his books. And when you're judged out of those books, no matter how many good things you have done, the evil that you have done will convict you and will condemn you to an eternal hell forever and forever. The, bio, the book of Revelation says that after the thousand year reign of Christ, the devil himself is cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. Present tense. They've already been there for a thousand years and yet they're still there. Because if you choose to pay the price for your own sins, it will take eternity without end and you'll never get it done. That's why there's no release date from hell. But if you'll surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you come up to be judged by him, he uses the memorial system. He says, I'm going to pick this one event in Mary's life 
and I want her to be remembered by that one event. How many of you could praise God with me that he uses the memorial system to remember his children's lives? You see, the memorial system not only allows us to remember, it gives us opportunity to forget some things too. God loves us. Why a memorial? That's the question. Here's the answer. Because God is good. Because God is good. Now the question for you today is are you under the memorial system? Have you come to God and admitted that you're not smart enough to figure out who He is? Will you allow God to be I am that I am and surrender your life and your soul and everything you are to Him? Will you, have you had that day of salvation in your life? That day of baptism? That day of surrender? That day of comfort? That day of being called into God's ministry? Those are memorials that God wants to put in your life. God will always provide for His children. He uses a memorial system. You give God the handful off the top, and you get to take home the whole bag. What an amazing thing. You know what? Mankind has yet to figure out anything that will operate as efficiently as a local church with tithing members. Nothing works like that. Somebody said, you ought to have a budget. How can you budget God's grace? I mean, you ought to plan and spending and things, but I'll tell you what. There's no way our budget makes any sense to anybody. But if we keep as we're going... We're going to break that $100,000 mark in missions rather handily this year. I'm looking forward to that. And it's not because we have some rich person putting all kinds of money in the offering plate. No, we just have some memorials that God is providing. Amen? God does not want to remember your sin and your failures. You know what? You do. Some people just love to beat themselves up. I don't know why. But would you allow God to install the memorial system in your life? He'll remember the parts that He chooses to remember the things that he did in your life. And he'll forget the parts that you want to remember, the things that you did 
But you've got to walk in his grace for that to work. You've got to surrender to him. You see, God uses memorials to give you and I just a little glimpse into how good he is to us. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning.